Welcome to Orion Valley. I'm Josh Wall. I'm Rihanna Hudson. Frankly, I love movies. And frankly, I love books. Welcome to our podcast where we dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium so much. We're currently running our series Off the Shelf, where we discuss film adaptations of novels and see how they compare to each other. Today is going to be a very interesting episode. Uh, So far in the series, we have been covering film adaptations of novels, but Rihanna, you threw a curveball for us a little bit with this one. We're talking about uh, a poem, uh, Sir Gawain. Is that how you pronounce it? That's how I pronounce it. They don't pronounce it that way in the movie. Yeah, they go, Garwin. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to go with Gawain for this episode. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, written in the 14th century, not 100% sure um, what year specifically, by Anonymous. That's an author name that we can both pronounce pretty easily. Yes, well, I think in keeping with the tradition of mispronouncing authors' names, uh, I'm going to pronounce it Anonymous. Anonymous. I think we just go Anon. (laughs) It would be fine. (laughs) And then, of course, the uh, 2021 film The Green Knight, directed by David Lowery. Very fun. We're doing a more recent film on this uh, for this docket. Um, But as always, we will start with the source material. As I said, this is a long form poem and a choice made by you. So you said you had experience reading this before you read it for a class correct yeah my last semester of school um it was a british literature class early british literature and so we had to read this poem i had to write some papers on it and yeah so it's not like i picked it due to really enjoying the poem particularly i mean i like it uh and i think it's cool and unique but uh, I, I really picked it because i thought talking about the movie would be pretty neat because it is the most recent film release out of i think everything we have on the Mm -hmm. docket yeah um and it is so i knew i had seen the film uh and i knew you hadn't and Mm -hmm. so having read the poem and seen the film when we were getting together our list uh i knew just how different each one was and i thought it would make for a very good episode yeah and i I think it will because uh i it was my first time for both the source material and the film. I promise I read. Like, I know that, like, (laughs) most of the time with these, it's my first time, but I'm also very selective of the fiction that I read. So this was a Um, huge project of broadening Understandable that you're not seeking out 14th century Yeah, it's some light reading. Exactly. Um, But... This was an interesting experience. In a way, I felt like I was back in school. Like, And and I don't mean that in, in a inherently negative way that it felt like an assignment yeah but the last time i most of the settings that i've read works like this poems or like more you know famous like allegorical stories have been in a class setting um so it was i don't know it was kind of a like it was it was almost a nostalgic feel for like oh yeah also student again the translation that um we picked out uh, well, I picked out because it was the one that I had read already. It is straight from like a textbook. Um, mm-hmm. It's annotated and there's some extra little history lessons that come with the annotations. So, yeah, it, it is. It, it does feel very, uh, I guess, academic, <laughs> uh, but definitely, like you said, that feeling of, oh, I'm reading uh, history. Yeah. <laughs> so I only do this in school, typically. <laughs> history at my fingertips. This is great. <laughs> um, uh, so I want to start with um, some of our experiences reading it. And uh, like you said, what, what was it that first 
initially grabbed you when you when you were reading it because you said that it wasn't necessarily something that you inherently loved but wanted to discuss the the differences between the movie and the film but on your first reading and maybe then this subsequent reading what were you able to latch on to what stood out to you as something that spoke to you something that i i really do i'm going to backtrack on saying that i didn't love it because something that i do love about this poem is that for a poem about a night it's not particularly exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our night hero, really, we spend most of the time with him uh, lying in bed. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, the poet kind of, it, he mentions that guy when does some exciting things during his journey to the Green Chapel. Uh, but the poet basically says, we don't need to talk about that. It would yeah. take too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so instead, just imagine it. Yeah, yeah. just just think about it. And so instead, we get a really um, low key, subdued study on uh, what it means to be a knight in terms of being brave and courageous and honest and loyal, um, but without any of the action and without any of the the decadence of. Uh, the round table or the court or fighting in battle with your fellow knights. Um, it, it's very like singular and yeah, yeah. And I think that's just so unique. And I think some of it even feels kind of creepy. Uh, I think the initial uh, Christmas beheading game has some very weird vibes and then the ending too, which we can get into later. Mm-hmm. I always thought was almost surreal, but what I, what I really love about it and what always made it stick out to me and it was definitely my favorite thing I read for that class was just the fact that it was so unique in not being very exciting yes (laughs) he's not slaying dragons yeah uh, he's just lying in bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an off day for Sir Gawain in a way. It's he's on vacation essentially. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I. I agree. But I kind of. I. I didn't really know what to expect going into it. Sure. Because I knew only of the the movie and the. I had heard of the the legend itself, and I. So I didn't, I, and I just knew that most people, when they went into the film, was they were expecting this big medieval epic, and that's not really what it is. And since they got a slower burn character study, they were kind of like, oh, I was a little let down by it in a way. Um, and I understand that's all about expectations. So I going into it and realizing that, yeah, the, what does what happens in the story is more um, of a of a literal journey and. Uh, just kind of hanging out after the initial <laughs> beheading scene. I was interested. Like I, I thought it was more like, I, I thought that the writing style of it, like being in a poem and the fact that it's so detail oriented, I thought it was like really, I, I had a good time reading it. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is a very, I don't want to say fun, but like a very intriguing world that they set up and that they're, they paint like a really good full picture in your head about whether it's like, you know, either it's action or it's a setting or scenery or even just their clothing. The author really paints like a really good um, picture for you to have like as you're reading it. And then the characters, what they're doing, I just thought like each individual action and circumstance that they found themselves in, I found just overall like I was just like, huh, I was not expecting this from yeah. from this poem. Yeah, and also in terms of just the writing itself, um, I think it keeps up a good energy with the little 
four line, uh, I, I think they're called like Bob and Hook, something to do with with the prose and the way it's written and the mm-hmm. rhyme scheme. Uh, at the end of each verse, we get a nice, cute little tight rhyme yeah kind of summing up what you had just read uh and i just thought those were worthy to mention because i really liked those they're yeah. fun and they rhyme that's always fun <laughs> uh because i mean yes. it, it's a poem but it feels more like a short story mm-hmm. um but there's definitely purists who would be like no this makes it a poem um ye- but ye- the the little four line uh bob and hook i think they're called uh verses are are very poetic and i really liked that I, I did I did enjoy those too. Like the kind of A B A B A rhyme yeah. scheme was fun. And yeah, I mean the overall writing of the poem itself, yeah, since it's very I'm sure if you broke down how many syllables are used yeah. within each line and spoiler alert, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to. I took their word for it. Um but it the, the there still was like an over overall sense of there was still subtext beneath everything of what they were saying. Like there was clear, even though they were very detail oriented about what you were picturing, Mm -hmm. there was still a lot going on that they left out clearly for you to figure out, which was interesting and not necessarily in terms of vital information, but more of just like, you know, again, character motivation or Mm -hmm. just what a character is thinking. I think it made it intriguing and I understand why people, you know, flock to this yeah. poem in a way and why it's studied. Yeah, because um, that's such a cool thing to do for a poem about a night because it'd be so easy to just stuff it to the brim with fighting dragons or trolls or whatever, rescuing maidens, yeah, whatever, uh, and, and not have any room for that kind of uh, a character study, like you said. But I really like that this poem focuses just on that, on on the kind of internal struggles that a knight as great and honorable uh, in the text as Guywin would go through. Uh, and and then at the end, too, we get that great little moment of him trying to kind of express to his fellow knights that he's kind of a changed man or, or you know, views himself differently after this entire ordeal and just they just don't get it, yeah. <laughs> which I love. I love yeah. the ending. Mm-hmm. The uh, ending is very interesting. I, I wanted to just provide some quick context. Yeah, I was about to say, maybe I, we should describe I, it. So the the story of Sir Iwan and the Green Knight essentially is uh, there, uh, while at a Christmas dinner, um, or is it New Year's? Is, uh, is no, it, I it's, it was, it's Christmas. Is it, it's, I know it's Christmas in the movie, um, but I, I couldn't remember. If it, but I think it's at Christmas. some holiday dinner, I thought it was yeah. New Year's when he has to go do the thing. Anyway, it might be at some holiday end of the year <laughs> gathering of um, King Arthur and his knights. The gr- titular Green Knight arrives and puts forth the challenge, a game, if you will, and that is for someone to take his axe and strike him as hard as he can, and then uh, one year later, he will then the Green Knight will then give the same blow to the person who strikes him. And Sir Gawain, who is the cousin of King Arthur, or nephew, I believe. Nephew, that's what I meant, sorry. Yeah. Um, stands up and says, I'll do it. And he does it and ends up beheading the Green Knight, who then picks up his head in a headless <laughs> horseman kind of way and then says, one year hence, the, the game will be complete. And then fast forward a year, Sir Gawain then goes off on his journey and ends up going through a series of trials, particularly at one um, castle where he meets a lord and a lady 
Um, their names escape me because they were very specific. They're, they're mentioned like once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then eventually goes to meet the Green Knight once more to receive the final blow. And then a lesson is taught. I want to get into the specifics of that in just a moment. Sure. But essentially, that is the structure of the story. And what I, one thing that I really wanted to talk about that you talked about of how honorable Sir Guywin is, at least in the, the poem, everyone's really nice to each other in this. <laughs> yeah, it's everyone's very, really it's very nice. Like when the knight shows up, everyone's just like, come on in. And he's like, I'm not here to fight. Please take your seats. All I want is a game. Yeah, you know, he, he's not, he's he not almost, rude. <laughs> like, the scene itself is very creepy, but the green knight, he's almost like the jolly green giant. Like yeah. he's, he's not mean or scary. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of creepy that, you know, he's here on Christmas and it kind of silences all the joy that was going on. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's what I love about the poem too. It's in very good spirits. And Mm -hmm. even though it's dealing with Guywin tackling, um, you know, feelings that he has of being a sinner or being a coward, it, it, it's not too, it doesn't really put the onus on the reader to feel that way too. Uh, Mm -hmm. it, it, it just ends up translating as a very nice, lesson on you know keeping yourself in check and reflecting on what might make you weak um which again i really like because most when you think of a story involving a knight you don't think of any kind of weakness because you think that they just want to show off what makes a knight so great Mm -hmm. but the poem does a really good job of telling us like hey guywin's already great he knows it everyone else knows it uh but so what is it that makes him not so great Mm -hmm. and uh, what if it's a really internal struggle, which right. it is. Yeah. Um, because in the poem, uh, y- you know, towards the beginning, Guywin will say things like, no, I'm not that great. Uh, but it's just him being humble because I think that's, you know, what a knight is supposed to do. Uh, right. Knights aren't supposed to be egotistical. And and Guywin isn't egotistical. He He's nice and he's polite. Mm-hmm. And that's part of, too, of what makes it so that he ends up kind of succumbing to the woman's temptations is that he's afraid to offend uh, and he knows he has duties to be (laughs) polite to women. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, again, we could get into more details about the kind of like little trials that he has uh, Mm -hmm. at that castle. Yeah. I, but it's just so interesting of how like everyone is not like, not only does he treat everyone with kindness, but it feels like it's reciprocated. Yeah. Like everyone like, I mean, the Green Knight is technically, like, the antagonist, quote-unquote, in a way. But, like, again, it's more of just, like, a thing needs to be completed. The Green Knight's not, you know, just slandering his family name or yeah, something like that. Yeah, like he's there to teach him a lesson. Yeah, exactly. And not and, in a scary way. <laughs> yeah, and it's fun to kind of... It felt like a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. in a way, than a lot of modern stories. And I'm like, I mean, as someone who... I've said on the show before, you know, I, I'm a sucker for kind of darker depressing Mm -hmm. kind of stories and endings like that but this one is more just like i don't know every it it, it is very like a story that you like gather around everybody i'm gonna tell you the tale of sir guywin and the green knight it's very (laughs) like i don't yeah you're right it's in such good spirits and that was a breath of fresh air to read i mean the ending is still kind of weird 
Um, and, and not in a, and I don't mean that in a critical way, but it it, it does feel less joyous than yeah. so much of uh-huh. the text feels. Um, even though, and it's interesting because the the context and the setting is joyous because Gaiwan comes home and his knights are so happy that he's home and mm-hmm. Gaiwan is like, I will wear this sash as a mark of my sin, and then his fellow knights are like, it looks cool, we'll wear it too. <laughs> You need to do so, that, bro. It's all right. <laughs> so it's very like joyful, but uh, you can really tell that Gaiwan is not feeling that way. Yeah. But yeah, overall, it's not too depressing or dark. And I and I think the lesson that it teaches, um, while it does kind of come across with the the very Christian self flagellation, I probably mispronounced <laughs> that word. Uh, feeling. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is some of that like Christian self-loathing involved, but ultimately I think it is a, a very good lesson. Um, but, it, but we should mention how Christian the poem is. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. it, it's very, I'm going to do my best to remember what I, uh, supposedly learned during school. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, that's me every day. I, um, I, I believe it was written, you know, it's from the 14th century. And so the context historically that it was written in, I believe, was a, a culture that was really embracing Christianity and had really moved from its pagan roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, so we see those pagan symbols and icons yeah. in the poem with the green knight and, you know, he's connected to nature. We have magic with the witches um, or uh, not witches, but j- magic in general mm-hmm. uh, with the sash, you know, being a magical sash, um, the green chapel nature. So there's pagan icons, but the poem is really uh, almost uh, reflective of hey we're moving away from paganism now because we're all christian now mm-hmm. and great knights are also christian and don't right. rely on pagan magic which spoiler alert guy ends up doing yeah and uh-huh. so then again that that christian self-loathing comes in where he feels guilty about it but it's still a lesson that i don't think pertains only to you know christians or only christians can relate to it uh, but during the context that it was written in, it was written for a very Christian audience. One difference, I'll, I'll just bring this up now just for the context of the yeah. conversation, is that one thing that is different in, about the film is that Gaiwin is kind of not a knight yet, in a way. Yes. Like in, yeah. But here, it's understood that Gaiwin is a knight. He's a he, great knight. He's, a, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty fucking good at yeah. it, apparently. And... Clearly, like, knighthood comes with this, like, thought of divine intervention and... And relying on God. Yeah, exactly. Um, Total reliance on your faith and that you are fighting for, like, the greater power. And then to have the veil lifted at the end, like you say, has this clear... He does feel devastated at the end of it. Like, and that's just an interesting... uh, And again, the, the... the contrast of all the pagan symbols, which the film also does have a lot of pagan imagery, but it's also like, I don't know. There was something about it too, that like that I think your faith being tested mm-hmm. is also like a constant theme in a lot of Christian stories yeah. um, and trying to, and like keep your, your purity in a way. Well, and I think <laughs> because also I want to highlight that the, the main focus of the poem 
because for a little context, um, once Gaiwen is kind of sheltering in this castle owned by a lord and a lady mm-hmm. whose names I don't remember, mm-hmm. uh, the lord proposes, hey, why don't we play a game where for the three days you stay here, whatever I go and catch while I'm hunting, I'll bring home to you. And whatever you receive while you're here chilling in my castle, you give to me. And right, so, yeah. you know, every day when the Lord comes home, Gaiwen gives him a kiss because he gets a kiss from the lady. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is like, well, where'd you get the kiss? And Gaiwen says, hey, that wasn't part of our deal. I didn't right. have to tell you where I got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like it would be really easy to be like, oh, well, what Gaiwen does is he he kisses the lady who's married already. And that's the big betrayal and betrayal and the sin. Uh, but not really, because I, I think the biggest point at least in the reading that I, you know, have the most like experience with studying and talking about, um, which is the religious aspect of it. The biggest fault from Gaiwen and the biggest sin he commits isn't kissing someone's wife. Um, it's accepting the green sash that the lady of the castle uh, offers to him because mm-hmm. she's like, hey, I know you're going to the green chapel. He's going to cut your head off. The sash has magic pagan pagan magic right yeah. uh and it'll protect you and he's like okay fine i will yeah um uh-huh. because the poem highlights just how pious Gaiwen is he you <clears throat> see him praying a lot he prays before he finds this castle that you know he can get shelter and rest in uh he he like prays before he goes off to battle uh not battle excuse me but his journey to the green chapel after the initial christmas beheading and we get a really good few pages describing his armor and his shield yeah. and just how much religious iconography uh, is like baked into his armor because uh, I, I believe his breastplate has uh, a pentangle on it, which is supposed to represent um, five things <laughs> having to do with Christianity. I don't remember. But the one I do remember is that his shield has the Virgin Mary on it. Uh, with the point being, you know, the Virgin Mary and God will protect you and they're watching after you. Mm-hmm. And so Gaiwen is supposed to look to God or, you know, just like his shield with the Virgin Mary on it for protection. But he ends up looking towards this pagan magic belt for protection. And mm-hmm. that's his biggest sin um, because very quickly we'll get into it later, I'm sure. But to me, that's what the movie seemed to focus on. Like, well, his biggest sin was wanting to bang the lady. (laughs) And that's just so not what it's about. Mm -hmm. Because to me, at least, because I think the poem highlights too, like, Gaiwen is good with the ladies and he knows how to talk. Um, But I understood it uh, with each reading as more from the angle of he's he, he doesn't seek to offend. Like, he always wants to make women like happy. And so she's the one, the lady of the castle, saying, like, hey, you got to kiss me. It'd be rude not to kiss me. Right. And he's mm-hmm. like, okay. And then it'd be rude not to take this weird magic belt that I'm offering you. And so he's like, okay. Right. And uh, again, for context, there's a twist that <laughs> the Green Knight was the lord of the castle all mm-hmm. along. <gasps> and uh, Gaiwen did not tell the lord of the castle that he got a green magic belt. And mm-hmm. so he lied. He was dishonest about that. And then he goes to the Green Chapel and surprised the Green Knight was the lord of the castle. And he knew Gaiwen lied and he knew that Gaiwen relied on magic rather than his faith in God. Um, but I think, again, going back to how nice the poem is, there's a really sweet lesson almost in that 
or not so much a lesson, but a very sweet sentiment of the Green Knight understanding that Gaiwin is human. Yeah. And that he kind of uh, faltered in his faith in God and his honesty because he lied to the Lord. Um, the, the Lord of the castle, not Lord Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that Gaiwin faltered in those values, which he, he really valued. Uh, he faltered in them because he just was trying to save his own life and he was scared. Mm-hmm. And the Green Knight is like really understanding of it, which I think is yeah. very nice. Because well, because he's like, you made a mistake, but you're still the bravest, best knight in all the land kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. So it's like, you're good, dude. Don't yeah. Worry. yeah. And, and that, you know, one m- moment of weakness isn't enough to kind of like strip you of that. Right. Um, but we yeah. still see Gaiwin for a minute at the end really struggle with reconciling with the fact that he you know is a sinner in that way but the Um, fact that like that there was again so much christian iconography and seeing him pray and clearly he's a man of faith mm -hmm. that then makes everything out that trumps everything that happens afterwards yeah like because then it's like yes he did this one thing but we know as the audience that he's good in faith and good at heart so then, even though he made this mistake, and he learned from it, yeah. he's still a good man. Yeah. And so, yeah, in that way, it is a very... And of course, you know, leave it to Christians to be like, <laughs> witchcraft! <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and at the end, when Gaiwen goes home and all the knights are, are really excited... Gaiwen kind of says, like, I am wearing this sash as a reminder of my own personal sin. And they very comically are like, well, we'll I'll wear it, too, as a as a (laughs) to remember how brave you were. Right. And it it is kind of funny, but I think it also does reflect on what you were saying of like, you can still be brave and courageous, even though you've made human mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, It just feels very surreal because Gaiwen is so like shell shocked. Yeah. And all the knights are so happy. But I think, again, it does end kind of with a nice sentiment of his fellow knights. You know, they also don't hold it against him. They don't know everything, it seems, but they understand that you can make human mistakes, but still be a great knight. Right. Yeah. And it, it is interesting that like how that is kind of the one big point of change that Gaiwen goes through. Yeah. That, like, clear moment of, like, damn, like, his deceit kind of gets the better of him. Or mm-hmm. the fact that he was deceitful, then he has this whole big, almost, like, existential moment of, like, oh, no, am I as good as I have been led to think that I that I am? And, like, again, the fact that the rest of the whole everything that came before the poem, you're just like, yeah, this guy is extremely brave. He's extremely chivalrous. There's no reason not to like him. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I think I, I do think that that is again, another, like a, that is a, in the prose column for, for the poem. And that I like that he has that moment of like, of clear, just devastation. There's a clear richness there. Mm-hmm. Like, and also having it paired with the kind of, I don't want to say cheesy being the right word, but funny to be like, I was the Lord all along kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. the Lord you of know? the castle. Yeah, literally like ripping the mask off <laughs> Scooby-Doo style kind of thing, which I, which I didn't know was going to happen. So when I was reading it, I was like, Alright. <laughs> yeah, and there's also a really weird quick moment of like further backstory and context that the Green Knight, aka Lord of 
what's his name throws out where he's like, oh, well, we have like a, a magic woman who knew yeah. Merlin who lives with us and she wanted to play a trick on your mom or something. Yeah. It, like, But it was ultimately to like she wanted to test the bravery of the round table. Um, yeah. so there's a really like weird context there. Yeah, the the, the reasoning was a bit I was convoluted. A little, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess. Even could even, you just say that like it's just me, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. fine, like I guess, like because then they have this whole other like the fact that when you go to the castle, it's like there's the lord and then his wife and some other fucking lady yeah. like, is there. Like I don't I don't know what she's doing. Like, yeah, even in that class that I took, my professor was like, eh, don't worry about that part. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry about remembering why exactly. Because well, uh, you forget about her. Because like, it's just like <laughs> yeah. her name is mentioned. And it's just like, oh, there seems to be another. There was another woman sitting at the table and they're having dinner. Yeah, well, it's and not even. not again. <laughs> it's not even that her name is mentioned. We were just talking about how nice this poem was. But basically, they're like, some ugly lady was yes, at the dinner yeah. table. <laughs> and like, she was so ugly and yeah. old. And, and then she's never. Whenever she's mentioned again, I'm pretty sure it's like. And then Guywin mingled with the beautiful lady of the castle and the old crone and I'm like damn just roasting her what the fuck? So other than That's that so, the poem's nice yeah please walk around with Alicia Vikander and this dumpster chud that we found <laughs> on our doorstep one day that is that is really strange I guess that is kind of the overt like pick up on this kind of thing but also again you so much happens yeah. like so much happens after that that you have to focus on that it just clear like you I totally forgot there was another person <laughs> yeah. like I literally like when it when it happened it was like oh it was the old lady it was the old magic lady that we have up there I was like oh yeah there was another person with them right <laughs> like I totally forgot and it's just a I think that's just a it's like old storytelling that's As just a, yeah a, yeah I was about to say I went I won't call it like a con or plot or, hole, or no. plot hole yeah no. or, or anonymous can't write um it's more like like you said storytelling where that's not the point so why yeah why spend time with her until we need to explain what's up which is at towards the very end right and i mean and it, it is kind of one of, it's one of those things too where as i was reading this and taking notes for the pod i was thinking like it, it's kind of uh it doesn't make any sense for me personally to criticize this uh or like critique this poem because it's you know centuries old and it's so kind of baked into storytelling that we know today that like I can only really speak on my personal like emotional experience while mm -hmm. reading it um and I'm not saying that it's like a perfect thing like because obviously like it isn't but it's it's just interesting and as I was reading it I was like I'm enjoying this this is uh this is a fun tale you know mm -hmm. I, I can picture you know, like someone reading it to me in yeah. a way. Like it does have that kind of communal, like literally, like I said before, like everyone gather around, I'm going to tell you a story kind of feel to it because yeah. it's so epic, not in the bro sense of the term, you know, <laughs> it does, sick. it does have this great grand medieval scale to it. And, uh, the fact that they do spend a lot of time, like I, I didn't really, I, it's interesting how much time they spent at that castle. Yeah. It's literally like the opening he leaves. He's at the castle for all of Act of the Two, and then yeah. then the ending. Which um, is kind of and I was just saying that the poem's not too exciting, which is not entirely true because while we don't see Guywin do a lot of action stuff at all, um, you know, while he's at the castle, 
we spend time with the Lord yeah. out hunting. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it's a really, like, honestly genius juxtaposition where this, like, really weird energy of Gaiwan at home in bed uh, and then the Lord out hunting animals. And it's kind of, like, graphic, not in a disturbing way, but it just goes into a lot of detail about him killing these animals. And at one point, he kind of, like the way that it's described, he takes a deer or something and like splits it from groin to head. Yeah. And it's a very, uh, you know, a kind of ironic uh, juxtaposition with like splitting it at the groin to the head when Gaiwan just kissed his wife. And mm-hmm. so you kind of think like, oh, Lord's going to be mad. <laughs> um, and so, it, yeah, I, I really like the energy and, and it makes it so that that whole uh, fit, I believe it's called, there's like fit one, two and three, four, there's whatever. Four and the whole fit of uh, Gaiwan at the at the castle, it, it kind of goes by with a really good energy because yeah. of that constant back and forth between the Lord out hunting and Gaiwan, our knight, just lounging around in like fine yeah. silk and and being. Uh, this will sound so trite and corny, but almost hunted uh, in his own way with the woman kind of coming in and mm-hmm. you know wanting him to talk to her about love and wanting him to kisser and right yeah all that stuff okay before we bring the movie into our conversation let's take a quick break to hear a word from today's sponsor let's be honest folks we've all turned to the fridge when we're in desperate need for home decor inspiration how many households have you been in with a bowl of fruit painting on the wall it's a worldwide phenomenon and it's heartbreaking when you realize your favorite fungal ingredient just doesn't liven up your living room as you thought it would but have no fear Even though the mushrooms in your fridge don't have much personality, you can add some cheeky, curvaceous toadstools to your walls. Introducing Tushrooms. Former film guest Lexi Cutmore has put her artistry out into the world and let me just say, it's one of a kind. With the cap of a mushroom and body of a female figure, mushroom ladies come in a variety of customizable colors, shapes, and sizes. The drawings are a unique way to add some personalized color to your home. Plus, who isn't all about body positivity at this point? Get with the times, people. To order your tush rooms, visit Underground Art Project on Etsy.com. That's Underground Art Project on Etsy.com. That's U-N-D-G-N-D-A-R-T-P-R-O-J. Customize your fungus female today. The, there's there's another one. They they cut back to the hunting a few different times. There was one, though, I think it's where they're... Uh, they're like running after a fox or something like that yeah. maybe and there was this really cool section where again with the juxtaposition it felt like this theme of since the game and there were times where people were keeping Gaiwin from like oh you don't have to go just yet you know stay stay till new year's you know you yeah. can wait a little bit and there but then that with that fox there always felt like even though he was hiding the dogs or the guy who was hunting him they were always going to get to him. They were still going to find yeah. him. There was feeling this like this impending doom yeah. of what you no no matter what you will have to face what you started. Yeah, and yeah, the, it's very clever. Mm-hmm, yeah, and that was and that was fun. And, it, and again, it is. I could picture it visually, um, or like in cinematically. I mean, like the the cutting back and forth between the cl- going closer and closer to the two of them with this hunting um, imagery, and I. 
and I and I enjoyed that. I thought that was really really well done and, and interesting. And like I said, I think that the third fit I definitely yeah. thought was my favorite. Yeah, and like you said, it, it's almost cinematic with the pacing and the way it's like cutting back and forth. And uh, very quickly, spoiler alert: we don't get any of that in the movie. No, we do not. Which is really upsetting, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and a waste of uh, opportunity and potential. But, but we'll get into that. Well. I think this is a good point to bring in. Sure. Film. Let's talk about the film. <laughs> so, um, so the film came out 2021, very recent. It was one of the bigger movies to be um, affected by the pandemic because I remember actually when the first trailer dropped for the film it was when I was interning in LA. So early 2020. Yeah. And it was supposed to come out in the fall of 2020, I think. And then when it was delayed, it was written and directed by David Lowry, who um, you may know from films such as The Old Man and the Gun, A Ghost Story, uh, and, Pete's uh, Dragon. and Pete's Dragon, <laughs> all you Disney fans out there. Um, and that was one of the first Disney live action movies. Think about that for a second. <laughs> they did Pete's Dragon before they did Aladdin. <laughs> That's so strange. I don't know. But... Um, not advocating for the live action Aladdin movie. I'm just I'm just saying that's that's weird. But um and what what's interesting to note about this film is that while the film was stalled from being released, David Lowry went back and felt like he wasn't as satisfied with the cut that they had that they were going to release pre-pandemic and then went back and recut it and then that became the film we saw today. I'd be very interesting to see what the changes would be. Release the Lowry cut. Release the Lowry cut. Yeah, get on there, Twitter. Um, But but we obviously can only talk about this cut here. Uh, I want to know uh, because it seems like you know we uh, we both have we'll both have obviously strong opinions about this. But I want to know what your first viewing experience was like and what you took away from it the first time. Uh, my first viewing experience, we saw it in a theater, which uh, I th- I think is a really prime setting to see this movie because mm-hmm. it looks really good for the most part. Sometimes it's so dark yes. that I literally, like yeah. not tonally, but I literally cannot see what's happening on screen. Yeah. I had um, watched it at home and there were some points where I had to turn the brightness up. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> seeing your reflection <laughs> literally in your television. can't see anything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so we saw it in a theater um, and I had not heard about this movie being in production like at all. It wasn't on my radar at all. Uh, I found out about it like a month before it was going to hit theaters and I had already taken that class, graduated, et cetera. And so I was like, oh, well, this is exciting. Um, And I remember reading the poem and thinking this would really work cinematically during, you know, especially during Fit 3, like we were just talking about. And so I was really uh, excited to see it. And I think, you know, honestly, my first time viewing it, the biggest thing I walked away with was almost feeling kind of like let down and annoyed Mm -hmm. um, because there are a lot of changes from the source material that I really did not like. Mm -hmm. Um, Not because I'm like a purist or anything, but because it it seemed like it just became a different narrative that I personally had no interest in Mm -hmm. and that I almost feel like we've seen before, just not with the very cool medieval yeah uh, set in but so i i kind of i was kind of disappointed in it and i thought it, it was like fine i didn't hate it but um i really had like no desire to see it again um until you brought that until on yourself. i was Sorry. about to say until this um <laughs> but yeah and even getting ready to watch it for the pod i was like i'm not like 
super excited to watch it. It feels like, oh, I got to do this for the pod. Um, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say, because it sounds like you were aware of this movie being in production for like way longer than I was. Yeah. And you are familiar with David Lowry, whereas uh, I'm not. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the film. Yeah, um, I <clears throat> I was very excited for it. Um, like when tra the trailer dropped, I thought it looked really interesting. I also... Um, at, at that point, didn't really know much about the source material. I knew of the story at that point, but I wasn't very familiar with it, uh, having not read it. I, I watched it at home. I, I wanted to see it in theaters. I really wanted to, but like timing and just like it just got out before I could get mm -hmm. in to see it. And um, up front, I said I honestly very much enjoyed myself. I think that I didn't fall head over heels for it as a lot of people did in like the film. Yeah, Twitter communities. <laughs> a lot of really, people loved it, really flocked towards it. I wouldn't say I loved it. I thought it was really interesting. I thought some choices they made changes wise benefited the story that they were trying to tell and others I didn't think worked very much. Um, I think a lot of my issues, um, and we'll talk about the castle stuff, but like um, a lot of my issues kind of come from what Lowry is trying to say and mm -hmm. accomplish with this film because I think that is up for discussion in a way that brings a bit more confusion than it <laughs> does um, concrete analysis. Yeah. Because, and... Well, because there's a lot to talk. Well, we can talk about that in a little bit. But <clears throat> some things that I, I wanted to highlight, at least be a little bit positive to start. I think <laughs> I think it looks, aside from some of the stuff that is too dark, I think it has a, an amazing visual style. Yeah. I think it's really, it really knows what it wants to do. It's a very confident movie. It's, it moves with uh, an interesting energy. I also knew going into it that most people said it was a slower burn kind of movie. Yeah. And I guess technically it is, but I wasn't yeah. like bored. Like I wasn't just like, come on. Like yeah. I, I wasn't, I, I also, I may be in the minority that I really enjoy slow burn cinema. So that's just mm -hmm. me. But I think it, it looks really good. I think it's got a really great sense of color too. Like the colors really pop. I love the greens. It turns a lot of gold at the end. Yeah. I thought was really good. And even the times where it kind of feels like gray and muddier at the beginning like looked like they we were in the hands of someone who really knew what story they wanted to tell yeah um and and i appreciate that and i and i like david lowry i watched a ghost story also in preparation for this and you can tell he's very interested in taking larger existential questions of the universe and kind of compacting them down into kind of into smaller settings and smaller stories and a ghost world more so because that it takes place in a single home in the south but you know, the Green Knight is about a few people's interactions in this medieval landscape. Um, and so I, I was interested in that from a technical aspect. I thought the sound design also was really yeah, good. Yeah, that was I pretty think good. the score was fantastic. It's I really liked cool it. Like, creepy. A, yeah, it's very creepy. <laughs> There's a good sense of atmosphere to it. Yeah. I think that they really knew... Um, what everything was going to look like and the sets and the like it, it felt like they found places to film but they also built a good amount of places at mm -hmm. least it looks like and it, it everything feels rich and lived in um i really honestly i really like the performances i think dev patel honestly really knocks it out of the park in my opinion i just i honestly also just really love him i think he's a great actor he's also really good looking in this movie <laughs> i think his beard is pretty fucking fire um <clears throat> It's also great to see Ralph Innocent getting some more work yeah. in A24 films. 
I think that is also an interesting thing to bring up, too. Yes. <laughs> the A24-ness of it all. Now, oh. I will not in any way slander the name of A24. Um, but I think that the fact that this is a bigger production and a, and an A24 film and this, like, period piece um, and it becomes, like, this film, tw- like, the film Twitter, like, kind of movement that I think brings bros out of the woodwork to be like, yeah, the Green yeah, Knight kind e- of thing. Even though, yeah, because when you're watching it, there's definitely, I, this is pretty cynical, so you can feel free to disagree, but I couldn't help but feel like, man, it kind of feels like they're recycling some things that made like The Witch so successful mm-hmm. or Midsummer, mm-hmm. um, or just even that little score that A24 seems to really like to do with like the stringy. Yes. Uh, and it, it felt kind of like this is literally the perfect uh, like composite of yeah. a lot of uh, a- the A24 attributes from their more successful period piece movies. Midsummer isn't a period piece, obviously, but it feels like it like kind, a of is, kind of is. Yeah, story, the location yeah. wise mm-hmm. and. Um, that was a big takeaway for me, though, was that it felt like this was, for better or for worse, a modern adaptation. And it's not a it's obviously not set in modern times, but there's so many modern story techniques that yeah. like there's storytelling techniques like clear blending of both CGI and practical locations, a lot of creepy, unsettling imagery with a hint of ambiguity this film definitely doesn't give you all the answers, yeah. Um, which I appreciate it. But the thing is, is like I'm like I'm so conflicted about some things. Where I, the more <laughs> I think about it, I'm like I don't know if I like that. But other things, I'm like yeah. But like, and going back to the modern thing is that like it has, <clears throat> it has very like recognizable but also niche actors. So like yeah. Dev Patel is, <clears throat> you know, has a has a very interesting career. I'm glad he didn't get stuck in. The Last Airbender world. <laughs> I forgot he was in yeah, that movie. Yeah, obviously going from that to Slumdog Millionaire and then being a TV show like The Newsroom. And, you know, he has a very prosperous career, but then is then someone like Alicia Vikander, who is an Oscar winner, but has been in a slew of, like, really unknown roles. And then doing something like this, she's, you kind of, uh, like, almost forget she's in the movie and then she shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, same with, uh, Joel Edgerton. It's fun to see him, but then there's also stuff where it's like confidence in knowing the story that they're telling. So they give themselves a little bit of bandwidth to go a little crazy, like just for whatever reason, having giant people walking around. (laughs) Well, you know, I was keeping an eye out for this on my second reading because I remember walking away from the movie and I was like, that's really cool. They added the giants. I, I like that. That was a good idea. And it looked really cool. So I kept an eye out during my second reading, and I believe the text does mention that Guywin encounters giants uh, on his. Oh, does he? Okay. So unoriginal. Thumbs down. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> Maybe I just missed boo. that. that. That is definitely one of my <laughs> least favorite tropes in a lot of uh, like. I, I I like just random big people just walking around like <laughs> like it's like giants. it's in it's in this it's in Prometheus it's in Noah like big mythical like stories that take a lot of uh, inspiration from like old legends and and myths and then just like adding yeah big creatures also in it. S- speaking of giants and 
and uh, going back earlier to me feeling let down, I remember seeing this picture uh, making the rounds on Twitter of Guywin holding like a giant heart. Did you ever see that picture? He's holding so. like a giant organ and that's not in the movie. <laughs> and I feel really let down. Is it really? If you if you look up oh wait, I might have to do it. Yeah, you uh, do the it. Wi-Fi. Hang on. What the fuck? Yeah, like why wasn't that in the movie? This is insane. <laughs> He's what literally Dev Patel is holding a like a literal human heart, <laughs> but it's like the size of like a French horn. It's like <laughs> huge. And he's smiling. And I remember seeing that before the, the movie. Fuck? And I was like, well, I'm interested to see that because this is another thing when, you know, I read that there's a movie coming out, whatever. And again, it was pretty close to the release date. I remember thinking, okay. I have a feeling I know what they're going to change. In the original poem, we don't hear much of Gaiwan's journey. And I was like, the movie's definitely going to add in their own, uh, you know, little things of of Gaiwan's actual journey to the the Green Chapel and the castle that's uh, close to the Green Chapel. So I was like, they're going to add in some action, probably. That'll be pretty cool. I would bet you they're going to change like, oh, guy wouldn't kisses the lady to like, he probably like has sex with her or something. And that was another thing I was like betting on them changing. Yeah. Uh, and then I think those are really the two biggest things. So um, I was very surprised to see how much was changed. And I think, uh, you know, if you want to segue into talking about just how different it yes. is, uh-huh. because I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Gaiwan is not yet a knight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a huge change in that the whole film, they, like, secularized it. it, 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 it all of those Christian images, I think, or the, the Christian tone yeah. is, like, completely gone. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, felt like the most modern retelling aspect. I was like, that feels like such a choice made because... This is cynical and I'm completely like conjecturing it. It might not be true at all. But to me, I was like, I feel like they made that choice because they're like, A24 film bros probably aren't Christians. Mm. Like our audience isn't a Christian audience. Um, And I was really upset because I was like, I think it would have been really cool to see a character study of someone struggling with their faith and mm-hmm. well, he's not struggling with his faith, but struggling with the decision that he made that betrays his faith. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be so cool to see on screen and see it fleshed out and see a script that reflects that. Uh, and we don't see it because Gaiwan is not religious. Right. Like at the beginning of the movie, he's like, Oh, I guess I'll go to church. And, <laughs> and that was really like, if you guys, if, if those listening can't tell, I didn't really like this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that is another one of my biggest gripes is I don't understand the decision to make Gaiwan like a frat boy. So, <laughs> like, yeah. So that was a big thing that I picked he's up like on a loser. I was like, he's more of a, Hormon- he's more hormonal and he's really edgy. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't like he's like the edgy atheist. Like yeah, I don't want to go to church, mom. They're clear that he's young and has little life experience, but after he gets this taste of glory from beheading the Green Knight, yeah, then he becomes like his ego just grows. Yeah, like, he becomes a bit of a shithead. He's like after smug yeah. and he's mean to his girlfriend. And yeah. it, even before uh-huh. he's tempted by the hot lady. Um, 
And I'm just like, to me, that seemed like such a fundamental difference because it's like, why would you, it's funny off mic, Josh and I were just talking about like, quote unquote, unlikable protagonists are still likable, but why would you want to make Gaiwen unlikable? I don't get it. Why make him like smug and like, again, just a, a like a bro. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that was one thing that I wanted, that I was thinking about as I was doing, like taking my notes was that at some points it feels like they are lifting from the poem and that like the green knight fight itself in the beginner, not fight, but the game <laughs> that we see at, at that dinner feels like it's from the poem. It, it it's, feels it's a really good close. beat for beat. Like, um, I don't want to say line for line, but all of the important stuff that happens there, it happens in the poem. Yeah. And it feels like, okay, this is like, I read it and this is what I pictured it as. And this yeah. makes sense. This is a good follow through. And even stuff like, like even like before the montage, but in the end, when he goes to see the Green Knight again, that also feels like it's very like, okay, he, he does the flinch. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then he, you know, tries, they have to try it again. He tries yeah. to like, that felt like, okay, this is, there, this is cool. There's one big difference. We'll oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> but, um, but I was just wondering if this is, at what point does it become an adaptation of the Green Knight? Is that necessary? And then at one point, does it feel like this could have just been its own story? That's what my second time watching it, I was like, I almost wish David Lowry would just make his own story about knights or whatever, because I almost felt uh, offended. (laughs) Like you took a really great character who we can still relate to. That's the thing. The poem is from the 14th century, but I think Guywin's struggle whether you're Christian or not, is, like, ultimately pretty relatable. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, it seems like the struggle that we're supposed to relate to is, like, whether or not you're going to cheat on your girlfriend or boyfriend. (laughs) Like, I I hated it. It it offended me because something that happens is that right before Guywin in the film um, goes off on his journey, his mom, like, gives him the green belt. And she's like, this will Uh protect you. Uh Yeah. And so there that... We just we know right away we're not going to have that uh, character struggle from Guywin of him grappling with being so not courageous that he's uh, having a moment of uh, lapse in his faith in God and is instead relying on magic. Like it's just gone. Like that's not in the movie at all. They do lean into the magic idea of it. They, well, they lean yeah. into the magic of like we all love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's the thing. It's like they'll be like, "There's witchcraft here." <laughs> Okay. (laughs) It's more, and then we see, like, we, during the Green Knight fight, there's almost this cross cut between his mom and the other witches, or however you want to call them. They're doing, like, some pagan ritual. There's a lot of pagan imagery in here, and especially in that scene. And I was thinking, like, okay, like, as I was watching it, like, my adaptation brain was on, and I was like, okay, so they're setting that up early. So is it going to be too telegraphed that they lift the veil at the end? Like, how how is this going to come into play here? And I don't want to talk about the ending yet yeah. because there's, there's a lot to unpack there. But, but at, I bring that question up, though, because at points I was like, I'm interested in this story. Like, I think the beats, like, I think it's interesting to... Because one other thing that I really tapped into when I was reading the original story was, like, the idea of the trials and tribulations that he is put in and, like 
how you deal with adversity and how you, even just in the course of one trial, how you are changed and how you react to that and come out the other side. And they put them through, like they add more scenarios. Oh, yeah, uh, which I like to go here. Like, yeah, you get a um, get Barry Cogan in there, you know, asking for a coin. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Whenever and, he shows up, you know, it's, yeah, you it's know, it's be not, a bad time. Yeah, it's not good. And the three thieves, uh, like, all, yeah, the three thieves, like, trick him and uh, tie him up and uh, take his shit and they run oh, off. This is another thing. So the thieves, like, the film makes a really a point of showing that they break uh, the shield with the Virgin Mary on it because that kind of stuff is still present too. Like, I think we do see the Pentangle make an appearance. Oh, yeah. Um, huh. And then they show... <laughs> the Virgin Mary shield mm-hmm. and then the thieves like crush it. Like they stomp on it. Yeah. And guy like my shield. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, rather than being like, Oh my God, no, that's a yeah. blessed thing. And right. so I just, again, I couldn't help but feel so annoyed. I'm like, why secularize it? Like, why not make guy religious? Like mm-hmm. why make him like a schleppy loser? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't understand because for so much of it, it's almost like, well, I don't even, I don't really care what happens to Gaiwan. What is there that I'm supposed to be like really rooting for? Yeah, I guess they were more leaning on the idea of like, I, of like the underdog. Well, I, maybe like someone going on the journey to become a knight like, to and prove then, like, yourself. To prove yourself. Yeah. But like, again, I think that's more like. Who has or has not read the original material? Yeah, you know? I almost wonder if David Lowry was like nobody has read the original. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. <laughs> they won't like, I, I, I'm sure the original spoke to him. Like I'm sure he yeah. read it and enjoyed it and wanted to take it in a different direction. And that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that inherently. And I don't think that. Um, I mean, I I personally wouldn't say I was offended by this movie. I was just like <laughs> I was just confused at points because like again there were moments where I was like. This is really interesting. This has some really good pacing. I think this is a good story. I'm just curious as to how much it di- like it diverts so much that where I'm like I'm confused on what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. Because like I thought that like I said I I liked Barry Cogan showing up. I thought that section when and throughout the film they have like um, title screens for like to kind of yeah. bring almost like not vignetted but like make it break it up into sections and so. That one's called a kindness. That yeah. was an interesting trial. He goes to he he stumbles upon uh, a house and finds um, this woman there and says she needs her head. That's like in the lake. There's another one where because she's a ghost. Yeah, because she's context. A, yeah, she's a ghost. She's a ghost. <laughs> um, and then uh, going to pass by the giants and asking for a ride. All of that is supposed to I I personally felt was again tapping into the trials that he is facing as he's going like. Does he give Barry Cogan directions? Does he give him, you know, money? And how does he get out of the, um, the I don't want to say capture, but the looting of of his of his horse? Mm-hmm. Is him uh, when he's at the when he's at the ghost lady with the head? When he, she's like, "Get my head," he's like, "What do I get in return?" <laughs> she's like, rude. "Why would you ask that?" <laughs> and then later when he. You know, is that the he's asking the giants for a ride? I felt like all of those were decisions that were made by someone who is clearly not chivalrous and not a knight yet, because that's what we were supposed to follow. And I think that story is interesting because yeah. again, he's he's clearly not equipped to be doing this. Yeah. He is uh, not being very. You know, he's thinking more of himself in the scene with the lady with the head. He's trying to find an easy way out when he asks the 
Giants for a ride. Like, I think all of that is what that is supposed to symbolize there. But, like, some of it, like, the one ghost lady one, that one felt really out of place to me. Like, I yeah. that one, like, while, again, looks kind of cool with some good scenery, it's too dark. But it's, <laughs> it's just, like, strange, like... Other than getting some David Lowry space imagery, yeah. which is also in a ghost story, I'm just I'm confused. King Arthur shows up for some reason. Yeah, like I'm just I'm just confused uh, as to why th- that one felt necessary. Some of the choices in this film, I honestly almost feel like they put in just because it looked cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you're talking about the whole trials and stuff like that, and. That is like interesting stuff, I guess. It might come down to personal preference where I don't have much interest in stories that are like this frat boy learns how to right. not be selfish. Yeah. And and when I say I'm offended that they secularized the story and, and Guywin's character, it's not from any kind of angle of like like I'm not religious. I'm offended that to me it feels like the movie almost took the easy way out mm-hmm. of a story. Yeah. Because I think it, it takes time and skill to craft a really compelling narrative having to do with like grappling with like faith and and how how much you see yourself in or or how much you consider yourself to rely on a higher power versus human flesh and being afraid of death right like yeah. that kind of thing and maybe it's not fair for me to compare this to other just movies but i almost think of the witch which have you've seen that yeah, right yeah i love the witch i love that movie too it's excellent and it, something that i loved about the witch was how uh, you know, religious the family was yeah, and how uh-huh. they were grappling with like being, I think they're a Christian. I might be totally wrong, but being religious and then dealing with this, um, the, 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 the witchcraft and their children dying before they could right. be baptized. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, it was so good. There's a clear, and, there's two clear conflicts going on. Yes. There's the immediate one with the actual antagonist of the witch. Yeah. And, the and not once, one. not yeah. once during the witch was I ever like, well, I'm not Christian. I can't relate to this. No, like, yeah. I don't care about this family dealing with their faith and their, their Christianity. Right. And, and so I'm like offended <laughs> that it seems like, in my opinion, um, the green Knight really took the easy way out with, well, it's not like anybody's really our our audience of A24 fans probably aren't the most Christian audience, so why bother? Mm-hmm. That that's just how it felt to me. I could be like completely wrong and maybe David Lowry has his own justifications for why uh he made it so secular, but I just think it would have been way more interesting to see Guywin Garwin um grappling with <laughs> like like trying like confronting himself yeah. not uh, ba- on the basis of I can't believe I'm such a loser but on the basis of oh my god like I I I had a moment of weakness and I strayed from God's light and looked mm-hmm. to witchcraft like we don't get that and I think it's a way more compelling narrative than oops I cheated on my girlfriend <laughs> who is played by the same actress in a decision that I think makes no sense. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure why that was the case. Like, like what's the point? Yeah, other than he walks in and is like, "Damn, you look good." And and like, because <laughs> there's never any moment where Gaiwan is like or at least I don't think there's any supposed to be a, a moment of Guywin being like, she reminds me of my girlfriend at yeah. home. It just seemed like pointless. I'm not sure if David Lowry was trying to say something or if, again, it was put in because it looks kind of cool. Like, 
look, Alicia uh, Vikander. Yeah, Vikander. She had yeah. short hair in this last scene. Now she's got long hair. Yeah, she looked and, like um, a lesbian before. Now she's <laughs> Princess Leia. What's going on? And, uh, <laughs> and speaking of performances, I have a hot take. I think she was overacting in this I movie. I wasn't a huge fan of her. Her performance she... was really weird for each role. Yeah, I, I didn't. It was a lot. I didn't think she was bad, but when she gets that long monologue, oh my basically God. Expre- explaining the symbolism of green and yeah. red, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like that, I just who felt cares? like like that. I was just like, I don't really think we need this. Like, and she's a good actress. She's been good before, but that was one moment where I was just like, this feels just not part of the same movie. Like, or it doesn't even feel like a movie. It feels more like David Lowry explaining this part of symbolism because that's one thing about the story that's been debated for like you know centuries now about the original text well yeah the original the original text is that like why is the night green what is the like there's a lot of different theories Uh, like obviously the surface level of the you know the paganism nature but like is there any other like deeper meaning to that and just that color that shows up throughout and you know now Alicia Vikander's just like, this is what I think. <laughs> yeah. And it's it feels just, out of place. It's, it's really so, weird. It's really out of place. It's really long. It goes on for way too long. It's just like. They, at one point, they like cut away from it to like a flashback yeah, or something. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, uh-huh. it's over. And then they cut back and it goes on for like five more minutes. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was just a very <laughs> strange choice. Like, I don't know. Like, and I was like hyped for that section. Like, when he gets yeah. to the castle, because again, like, and he get the, you know, Joel, Joel Edgerton is just like, he, he says the thing where it's like, here's our deal. I'll go out, hunt, give you whatever I get. If you give me whatever you get here. I was like, all right, let's go, I baby. I think it, we literally don't even see that happen. We no, don't see an he, exchange of, like, kisses. <laughs> that's the thing, too, is that he, like, there's the scene where uh, he's in the library. And Alicia Vikander's like, oh, these are all books that I've read and Some of them I wrote. Yes, yeah, some, some of them I wrote songs <laughs> I like. And then she's like... You know, night should kiss a lady and he kisses her like on the cheek or something like yeah. that and i was like oh okay that's that's actually a deliberate kind of interesting character choice because like that's not the same guy one that we've seen before like yeah. it seems like he's making a conscious effort not to kiss her so i was like okay where's this gonna go and then <laughs> uh, it kind of goes nowhere and, but then it's then just cut to you know the girdle covered in semen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, in case you don't know, um, there's like a very it. It almost feels like gratuitous, which I never thought I would say. But I'm like, what was the point? It, it just yeah. feels like <laughs> again, talk about being offended. The like most main part of the the original story that the magic green sash that Guywin relies on uh, in lieu of his lord is boiled down to a cum rag in the yeah. film. I'm like, what? Why? I don't understand. It's yeah. almost offensive. And like, it's, it's very strange. I'm just like, what like, are you doing? I, I don't understand what David Lowry was trying to say. It. I'm like, is he, what kind of moral compass is he appealing to? The don't cheat on your girlfriend? Like, mm-hmm. or like, I don't get it. I, yeah. I, I, I'm not really sure. Like, cause again, or, in, in this, in the story, there's that there's one of my favorite lines in the story in the original poem was during their second time in the bedroom mm-hmm. and he, he says he won't kiss her again and he says it's not chivalrous and all that and she has this great question of like 
How is someone whose name is spread about the land as being the bravest, noblest, most chivalrous, kind knight know nothing about love? Yeah. And that is like such a really cool, like in like a moral question yeah. about Guywin that I was like, okay, we're clearly tapping into something here about not only the mention of temptation, but also self-image and like how you are perceived in that legend. And like, I think this movie is trying to deal more with the idea of legend and how we perpetuate that, yeah. um, which I don't want to talk about just yet because it's going to be a whole <laughs> big thing. But yeah, that, that scene, like, it's just, it's just weird. Like, it's just like, it's almost edgy for the sake of being edgy. Yeah. Off mic. I asked what is legitimately a clarifying question. I had to ask Josh, was he jerking off or or was she jerking him off because uh, like the context of the scene almost changes i'm like yeah. is he is he succumbing to temptation and like, letting her give first, him a handy or is he well, like pathetically masturbating i thought at first the way that they so the way that they film it it's like a medium <laughs> close up and it's just like their shoulders up and their you know faces close together and then at one point like she like moves to the side and grabs his hand. I thought he, she was like letting him touch her, yeah. but then it cuts to semen on his hand in the rag. And then I was just like, what? <laughs> so rag. is she, or in the, in the girdle is like, is she like not, how, like what was she doing? I, like yeah. what was the participation level in this? Yeah. That, that's, here? that's why I was confused. I was like, was she tempting him? I don't understand. Or was she just like basically scolding him? Like, you freak. Because well, she says at the end of the of scene, right? She's you're like, no you, night. you're no night. Yeah. yeah. Which is Which, like, oh my God, again, like completely betrays, uh, betrays the original story because in the original story, she's, she, the lady uses his knightlyhood mm-hmm. as a point of like, well, you have to kiss me and be nice to me and take whatever gifts I offer you, even if they're pagan and against your religion, because you are a knight. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what a knight is supposed to do. Um, and so, again, the stakes feel so much lower with him not being a knight in the film. And it, it's just weird. I just don't understand why bother making those decisions and it's not like every adaptation has to be beat for beat the same like like we really like we kind of talk about that in our ghost world episode where the film is almost completely different but it captures the original spirit of the source text feels like it works written by the same yeah and obviously they're not going to resurrect an anonymous poet from the dead and have him write the script and make sure that it still feels yeah. Uh, close enough in spirit to the original. I think they talked about doing that, but it would have been a lot of work. So. <laughs> but it just feels so different uh-huh. to the point where I'm like, it, it almost doesn't even feel like an adaptation. It feels like it could have been its own thing. So I and and which I guess is permissible, but still. So that this is where I want to talk about this sure. in terms of analysis, and let's stay on the film because this is a this is going to be a big thing. Is sure. That, I mentioned the question earlier is like, does this need to be a direct adaptation of Cirque Iowan and the Green Knight or can it be its own story or should it have been its own story? Because what I was what I was interested in, the parts that were so diverted that they felt like new added on ideas. Those were things where I was like, okay, this feels like its own thing. If I just block out that I've ever read the Green Knight and this is my only introduction to this, I can understand why someone would like this and I was interested and again I don't want to I I know we're being fairly negative I still should say I enjoyed myself watching this movie I was just confused because 
it's clearly a deliberate choice to call this movie the Green Knight, yeah. and that it is an adaptation of this of this poem. And you, you even like have the the voiceover in the beginning when uh, it's like, you know, this is the story that I will pass down to you, like the same line from the poem. But it's also clearly a delineation from it because the first thing that we see is Dev Patel sitting in that chair as Sir Gaiman and then is just bursts into flames. And it's clearly that like, and it's clearly that like, kind of easy symbolism of being like, this is not your mama's Sir Gaiwin, you know, yeah. like, um, and so because of that, he, and, and to rope in like the ending of the movie, when he goes to the, um, to see the green Knight again, he has this moment where he runs away and then we see the next, like this, like non, uh, no dialogue montage storytelling of the next, like, the rest of his life as king and ruler of the area, his legacy. And I honestly, I want to know what you think too, but I thought that was like really well done. Like I was like, I thought it was made well. I thought it was a good example of nonverbal storytelling. I thought it was effective. And then it, when he gets his head cut off, it cuts back to guy when on the ground he takes off in the, the green chapel yeah in the green chapel he takes off the girdle throws it to the side and the green knight says well done off with your head and that's when it cuts it, it cuts um and so that obviously will bring about a bigger discussion but like i want to know what you thought of that ending <sighs> well i remember seeing it in theaters when they started the the I want to call it a dream sequence, but like the vision of Mm -hmm. what his legacy would be if he chickens out. I remember being like, no way. Is this really the direction they're going to go in? Um, Because again, it feels like it really betrays the original spirit and lesson of uh, the original text because the lesson is not stay true to your values as best as you can or else you'll become drunk with power Mm -hmm. and become a horrible leader. Right. Yeah. It's, stay true to yourself and your values as best as you can but we all make mistakes Mm -hmm. Uh, just own up to them Uh, so it just felt so different I was like are they serious this is this is pretty different and then the little fake out reveal that it was just kind of a vision um, which I was also kind of confused maybe it doesn't matter but was the green knight using magic to like make him see that for himself or was he imagining that's another thing like was that a moment of of self-reflection because if it was i would have really liked to know that yeah well that's the other thing is like it seems like he because he clearly makes the decision to throw the girdle off to the side yeah and it's just like i don't i'm not using this to protect myself i am taking what's coming to me and that's the clear character change there but and the fact that they set up this magic like aspect with his mom and there's that scene like when he's tied up we see his skeleton and then the camera turns around and then he's back to being yeah, a human so i was like I, I thought that was are they going to say dream. The, i thought i was like are they going to actually like commit to the magic thing are they actually going to make it like like again pulling the veil off of his head like this is clearly magic and this is supposed to teach you a lesson but they don't really tell you. Yeah, <laughs> like, and don't... another thing about the Green Knight, you brought up Ralph um, last name, <laughs> and yeah. he plays the Green Knight, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And so I, I was looking at the casting. Joel Edgerton is the Lord, right, and uh-huh. then someone who I can't remember is King Arthur, because there's uh, one moment where 
he's in the green chapel and he has to like wait a couple of days for the green knight to like wake up mm-hmm. and the green knight's face almost kind of like shifts. I, I, you kind of have to like really watch. Um, and he almost looks like King Arthur for hmm. a second. And then, or maybe it's Joel Edgerton because again, in the original source text, the green knight is the Lord of the castle where Gaiwin stays. But I really don't think that the movie was doing that at all. Mm-hmm. But then again, the ghost lady with no head was like, hey, the Green Knight is someone you know. So I was like, is it supposed to be King Arthur? Is it supposed to be or is that a nod to how his mom conjured the Green Knight? Or is it supposed to be like in the text where the Green Knight is Joel Edgerton, who is maybe has what, five minutes of screen time? Yeah, he's like, like barely in it, he's yeah. barely in it, which is also annoying because in the text, I really liked seeing the camaraderie between Guywin and yeah, the Lord like of the friends. Castle. Yeah, they're like yeah. friends immediately. Um, and so that was another thing. I was really confused on, on if uh, the Green Knight was supposed to be. The movie makes it clear it's someone he knows. And so I was like, okay, well. In what way exactly? Yeah. Like, and that's fine that it, if it's supposed to be ambiguous, that's fine. I'm not stressed that like, I, I don't know the answer to every ambiguous question that a movie poses. Um, for me, it's more just, but why? Like, but yeah, there's this clear <laughs> other aspect that they brought up in the setup with uh-huh. his mom doing these pagan rituals clearly. And they, they mentioned like there's witchcraft, there's yeah. something going on. Like that is a clear present aspect in this story and I was expecting it to come to a head in that moment, but it isn't clear. And, it, and I think if they were just a little bit more like having an answer to that question, then maybe the context of, you know, of the takeaway would be different because yeah. this is what my big thing was I was mentioning earlier is that like the whole thing with seeing his legacy and seeing what happens after if he chickens out and runs away because there's also that big thing in the story of where, you know, Guywin's like, I, I cannot chicken out. I, I I will not be called a coward. And then we see that happen played out in the film. And I was wondering if he was like, if Lowry was calling more into question, like the idea of, you know, the idea of legacy and the idea of legend that precedes you because everyone in town was like, oh, Sir, Sir Guywin, he slayed the Green Knight, <laughs> yeah, you know? Even though he's a loser. Yeah, even though he's an asshole. <laughs> and like... The fact that he, you know, was trying to strive for greatness that he clearly wasn't, you know, certain about, I think is deliberate also then bringing in the idea of putting faith and um, expectations into leaders who we've seen being un- incompetent and then the damage that then that then causes to the people that they're ruling and then ultimately themselves. That, I thought, was a very, like, 2020 message yeah and it's kind of annoying but the thing was for me it was like okay but then is he saying because of all these delineations is he saying that um is he more calling into criticism the idea of like the original source material or stories of that nature and talking about those negative effects and creating um like unrealistic goals or um having a lack of free will when you actually when like as if you don't have the ability to decide your fate but really you do 
And like, I'm not really sure what he's trying to say because like, obviously your mileage may vary like on that position of like critiquing the original text, if that's what he's going for. And like I said at the top, I don't really see a point in doing that because (laughs) it's so old and it's so baked into storytelling as we know it, that it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that. But that also, again, feels like such a modern take to have to be like, is this is telling this story actually worth anything? Like, yeah. is, it, is is stories like that? And that can be an interesting question. But again, like just to bring that up as like a modern 2021 movie of being like this story that we've told for centuries, does it actually have some damaging effects to it? Like that just <laughs> I don't know. Like that just seems kind of strange. And I don't know if that's what he was trying to do. But like at the same time, because of how many changes he makes in this story and having that ending. Yeah. That was just something that jumped out to me. And if I didn't mention it, I would feel bad. But like, that's what where a lot of the source of my confusion comes from. Yeah. Because it's so different. And it's clearly commenting on that in some way. Yeah. Is he actually trying to criticize it? Is he just making a broader question that he doesn't know the answer to? I don't know. It's just strange. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is. I, I don't know either. I, and it. it, it, it yeah, it just feels very underwhelming because would it have been kind of boring to recreate the original text like beat for beat? Sure, maybe. But yeah, everything that you said. And there are like obviously like cinematic aspects to the story and stuff that I understand that they would need to change. Like I'm fine um, like giving Guywin more like more more scenarios and trials to go through yeah, on yeah. his journey. That's fine. I'm not against that. I understand you got to stretch out a film and add more stuff as long as it is like clearly adding to the theme that you're trying to like portray. Yeah. And maybe and maybe what I said was all wrong. I don't know. It's just my reading. And maybe that Lowry was more interested in just having this modern ideal of, you know, cowardice men who are ill-equipped to lead that I mentioned earlier and how that falls like maybe that's what he was at the forefront of his mind when he went into this and that's fine. But like, it just, it's just strange. Like I'm just confused by it. And he's also mentioned that there's been other ideas of like, he wanted to set up the idea of Guywin's mother to, uh, to bring about this idea of like escaping of like a boy escaping his mother's clutches or something and growing that's, into your own man. That's weird. But like, it doesn't feel like it doesn't that at feel all. like it's there at all. <laughs> it feels like, like he you loves have, his mom. That's the thing. Like, yeah. He loves his mom. You see her in two scenes and then there's like two like insert flashback kind of memory shots where he's thinking when he's like laying in the bed of the castle. And yeah. Then you see he thinks his, it's his mom. Thinks it's his mom. And like, yeah, I only got a feel for a loving relationship. Not that he was like growing in. I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. he was growing into a something else, like not a hormonal edgy kind of guy, maybe. <laughs> but like, I don't get that aspect of it at all. Like, yeah. I, I did not pick up on that. And also, okay, oh my god. So if 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 the idea of this movie was supposed to be, you know, him growing into being a man, and you know, like legacy. Uh, having the risk of legacy kind of getting away from you and becoming something greater than like what you actually are, then I think it would have been again, kind of cool to have an ending that was a bit truer to the text with the green knight being like, I'm not cutting off your head. And then Guywin is like, okay, well now I have to go home and kind of tell them that we didn't have a fight. 
Like, yeah. you could have done something with that, maybe. Uh-huh. Like, Gaiwen almost being like, well, dang, now I didn't die like a hero. Right. I kind of just have to go on with my life. Like, maybe he could have done something with that. Because that was another gripe I had with the ending. It felt like it was ambiguous just to be ambiguous. It didn't feel like it did anything to really contribute to any kind of big, bigger question. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. it, it felt like it was just like, everybody loves a, a cliffhanger or... Yeah, or you was, can make was, your own meaning to it. Yeah, the Green Knight too. The Green Knight. Oh my God. <laughs> the Green. Um, the, the Green Book. Yeah. <laughs> the Green Hornet is the Green Knight. Too. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's just strange to me because like, it's not it's not ambiguous to the point where it's leaving questions unanswered and you're like, oh, it could be this or it could be that, yeah. and it's kind of interesting. It's more you're just I'm just more like what like I'm, <laughs> I'm confused more than i'm intrigued like i'm i mean i would love to know the full answer i'm sure david lowry has a million answers for these i know and, and that's the thing you say you you like the movie so i don't want to sound like i'm just like shitting on it but like part of me almost feels like david lowry you're free to disagree drop the ball because it's like why complicate a story that was so tight and timeless mm-hmm. like why make it so complicated i just think that and again it Again, I did enjoy the movie, and I think that there are sequences in there that are. He is a great storyteller. Like, he's a very. He clearly has a command of filmmaking. And, you know, he was very passionate about this. But I'm just confused as to what I'm supposed to take away from this because it's very clearly a story about about legends and allegory and i mean it's based on one of the oldest richest allegorical stories that we follow and so to for him to not to for him to make this and not say something would he would be even stranger (laughs) so but i'm just curious as to why it couldn't have just been its own thing you know because i feel like that because he makes such deliberate choices to deviate from the original source material and to still call it the Green Knight, mm-hmm. I feel like there's something there where he's calling into question the original source material. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, again, is inherently a bad idea or that someone can't do that, especially, I mean, depending on the text, of course. But for this, in this example, I'm just curious as to why. Yeah. Like, what about it was so prevalent to today that made you want to question it or the yeah. questions that we currently ask ourselves is so different or so against what this original story is trying to teach us and tell us that I'm just, I'm confused as to what he's trying to bring up and really trying to make us stew over because yeah. if it's also just about personal legacy and, you know, having these, I just think that's another modern thing of, again, just having our main protagonist be not a good guy and then go down this path of seemingly you know self-destruction when he sees this when he has this vision like i just that again that's such a modern thing and that's Mm -hmm. not again not inherently bad but i'm just confused like i don't understand why do this as opposed to have you know your character have this moment of a true lesson taught to him of lift of you know lifting the witchcraft and saying this was all a test for you and having this existential crisis and that still could have been interesting and like you said i mean you definitely tapped in more to the religious side of things mm-hmm. than i did when i was reading it but yeah i think it definitely is much more complicated to make it about 
uh, a crisis of faith. Yeah. And that battle, like that battle, and it, it didn't also need to, it doesn't also need to be so overt if you wanted to exactly. go that route. You could have done it. I just, I'm, I don't know. I just have a lot of questions. Rihanna. Yeah. No, I do too. Do you want to know another question I have? So the little fox guy, who yes. is okay. the best Thank part you. of the yes. movie, in my opinion, I love the fox guy. Completely worth it. Uh, two watches. Uh, cute little fox that kind of becomes Gaiwan's furry friend and guides him through his journey and guides him to seemingly do the right thing. He almost gets a ride with the giants, but the fox stops him and because yeah, uh-huh. it almost seems like not the right thing to do. And right, so they, they yeah. got to hike the long way. So there's the little fox that doesn't speak until almost the very end in which the fox is like, Gaiwen, come with me, go home and don't lose your head. And I was like, what is this fox supposed to be? Because I thought he was kind of encouraging Gaiwen to do the correct things. And then he is encouraging him with with language, which I didn't like that they made him talk, um, to do the not right thing and chicken out. And then he's like, go away, fox. I was like, what was the point of that? Like, I I remember watching it for the first time because they come across a, a canoe or something when they're really close to the green chapel and Gaiwen kind of steps towards it and the fox walks in front of him. And I was like, oh, the fox is going to like bite him if he tries to like go in the canoe. And instead the fox is like, go in the canoe, (laughs) go home. (laughs) I was like, so what was the point? It's like the raptor in JP3. Alan. Alan. Garwin. Garwin. (laughs) Don't do it, Garwin. (laughs) And so I was like, well, then what was the point of the fox? That was but, my question. Well, that's that's another thing where it's like, that's clearly, you want to know there's witchcraft here? A fucking fox is talking to you, Gaiwin. Open your eyes, goddammit. What's going on, dude? Like, it it doesn't go, it doesn't go anywhere. Like, I, yeah. like, I was just confused. Also, I think the movie did a really bad job of um, highlighting or clarifying how the society generally feels about witchcraft because again in the story it's clear that king arthur and everyone they're all very christian and it seems like they all just kind of accept witchcraft as like a part of life or something but then at one point the lady of the castle is like do you believe in witchcraft it's just like really weird i don't know maybe i'm like dumb and i'm not picking up on what david lowry is trying to put down but I don't know. I like you. I just have a lot of why questions or what for questions. There's this whole other feminist reading of the um, of the original text and how the the female characters have the control over the story and more specifically the male characters. Sure. Because yeah, you know, there's what's the the old lady who's the the witch who is controlling yeah. all of it and then obviously the number of times that the lady of the castle tries to um get uh Gaiwen to give into temptation and he obviously eventually doesn't and, and kisses her twice now and, and in, takes the belt yes yes <laughs> right exactly um and the in in the film they set up I'm liking this movie less and less the more I think about it. <laughs> the more we talk about it. The, like, they set up clearly, and to answer your witchcraft question, they clearly it's clearly something that is present, but it also seems like it's, like, I don't want to say taboo, but it's like this backdoor thing, because they're, when they do this cross-cut in the beginning of The Green Knight, and then the mom and the other um, women doing this 
like uh, pagan ritual, I was like, okay, this is clearly some control thing. Like this seems like it's going to go down that path. But then, and if David Lowry wanted to go down that road of that message of escaping your mother's grasp, that might have been interesting, but the women don't really have any effect on the men in this story. Like, Guywin blows his load and then he runs away. (laughs) Like, he doesn't... (laughs) He's just like, fuck, man. Like, you know... Yeah, because that's the thing, too. It, It... well, I was about to say, you know, the the magic woman that lives in the castle, she's barely in the movie, but she's barely in the book, the book, the poem, yeah, too. She so just shows I, so, up as the obligatory A24, like, random body that just <laughs> stands in the hallway to look at you kind of yeah. thing, you know? It's the goat and the witch, it's yeah. the mom and hereditary. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like, it looks cool. Um, so that wouldn't be a very fair comparison to make, uh, but yeah, the there's... The whole David Lowry reading of it's about escaping your mother's grasp just kind of completely falls flat on its face. Yeah. Uh, um, unless in the Lowry cut, there is something that explains it more. <laughs> um, but again, if that's what you wanted to go with, dude, like you could have. Why not keep uh, the religious aspect and his his mom and King Arthur? Everybody's so religious. Uh, but um Gaiwan thinks paganism would maybe protect him in the long run or or Gaiwan is really enthralled by uh, the, the the how pagan the green knight is like something like you could do something interesting i i think that's the biggest thing is that like to me this movie does not feel particularly interesting even though it looks really cool for the most part it just doesn't it doesn't really get my interest mm-hmm. i don't know and, and you know that that's probably just an opinion thing that's just me but i think the the poem is more interesting because it is putting forward more interesting things to think about partly because they are more obvious and clear right uh, what you're supposed to think about and i'm not saying that i need everything to hold my hand yeah and i don't think uh, literature or film or anything should hold your hand uh, but Lauer, david lowry kind of does that in this movie with like you said the lady's speech and then the fox just straight up talking and saying yeah. like come home with me like yeah i don't you are explaining the point kind could, of it could have been easily done visually yes you know, it yeah could've, it could have just been like you said if the fox like you know is like come back come this way or like something it hopped in the canoe hopped in the canoe and tells him to go like just motions for him to go the other way yeah. something i don't know but then guy when freaks out and he just starts swinging his axe <laughs> get out of like, here you big I'm... stupid animal because <laughs> 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 that scene needed to exist in um, a movie but, um, <laughs> can't you see i don't watch anymore <laughs> um <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm, but like also again with the mother thing, it like, it feels like they, they doubled down on the clear existence of witchcraft and setting that up in the beginning, but, and then like they, what they should have done is if they wanted to just go that way, they could have just done the religious route and Nick's like Arthur's or not, or um, Guywin's mother as a character. Yeah. Cause she's not present like really at all <laughs> or make her more of a character, but they just make her there and that they clearly have a good relationship. Like you feel yeah. like they love each other. And, but she's also this, you know, this clear, this witch figure. And then it's supposed to be about this character's nonverbal control over and like, yeah. him. like I don't, I don't see that aspect of it that loud. Like yeah. I don't feel like 
Like I, I feel like if 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 Gaiman's escaping from anything, it should be like or not. It should be, but what it seems to be is again the expectations of greatness from other people because that again was set up early where Gaiman says, "I don't have many stories to tell." Yeah, and the um the queen says you will there you will do great things i'm sure of it and he has this look on his face and he's like oh okay that's a pretty big burden to bear that's interesting that's fine yeah but like it doesn't like that and this control over his mother aspect yeah like his mother's not holding him back like there's nothing yeah. his mother's not doing anything to keep him from going on his journey or achieving this great success that they are expecting from him yeah. there's nothing about that relationship that breeds conflict yeah it it, it it seems like if anything maybe the whole being held back thing was almost more present with his girlfriend she was like why be great when you can be good yeah like what's wrong uh-huh. with that and then he very clearly like resents her even before he cheats on her yeah just very weird <sighs> i don't understand yeah i, I have know. so many questions <laughs> of just just why why make your story more muddied and confusing? I just don't understand. Yeah, and like I said, I I do find this movie like as an interesting in the sense that I think that if it was just its own thing, I think we'd be talking about it in a different context. Yeah, I think if it was yeah. just its own medieval epic going on that like if you had the exact same story beats, mm-hmm. a trial presents itself in the beginning, uh, on a. F- a figure who is not a knight but working towards the greatness of to gain the greatness of being a knight goes through several trials facing off against his own inner sense of being and then trying to be what is expected of him outside of the situation going on that path of then self-destruction and possible destruction of loved ones before making a big decision of turn that could be so interesting and sounds yeah. like it could be like very vi- like again this movie technically is a marvel to look at. Like I think it looks great, it sounds great, it's got, you know, great cinematography, it's got fantastic score. I really liked also I, I just wanted to mention that there's a I think it's in the montage when he to show his legacy, there's a song there's a song called Bloom Sweet Lily Flower. Um, oh yeah. And it's a really I'm a sucker for folk music. I love folk <laughs> music. Um but it's a really like perfect tonal addition to the pacing of that scene. Like, that could be something. But the fact that he deliberately chooses to make this an adaptation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, there has to... There's clearly reason behind that. Yeah. And it, it's not just, I, I read this text, I saw something else in it, and I wanted to give it a try. I really don't think David Lowry is that surface level. Like, I yeah. think he's clearly thinking on this. He's a smart guy. He's made, like, very, like, intellectual, spiritual films before. And you can see his style here. But I don't know what I'm supposed to gain from this. What am I really supposed to be thinking about when this is done? And there's obviously been films with many interpretations that you can latch on to because they're all present. You yeah. know, we've talked about films in the past where it could be this thing or it's more focused on this but both themes can be present. For here, there's a lot of ideas that could bring about different takeaways, but since this film is clearly trying to make you like leave the theater with something because it's allegorical, I'm just not sure what that one big thing is. Yeah, neither am I. And and seeing it in a theater and walking out, that was like my biggest feeling of I'm I'm not sure what I was supposed to get from that, mm-hmm. which I think you as a filmmaker should 
try to avoid making your audience feel. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what do I know? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So let's start wrapping this up. You um you already answered the big question a little bit, but let's pose it again. Sure. Um I th- I think we'll probably have the same answer for this, <laughs> but um of the two texts, the original poem, Sir Guywin and the Green Knight, or the 2021 film, The Green Knight from David Lowry, which one did you enjoy or does it speak to you more? And can you give a brief description as to why? Yeah, definitely enjoyed uh, the poem more and, and that spoke to me more and I got more out of it. Uh, because again, I think even for being written so long ago and for a culture, uh, an audience that is so far removed from me personally... Uh, I, I still yeah, you weren't around when this came out. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I still relate. Um, I think it's relatable in the sense of, you know, we everybody can make a mistake. And but it's really about what made you make that mistake in the first place. Was it um, the cruelty or was it being afraid and of which everybody gets afraid? That yeah. kind of thing. And um and that's a narrative and a lesson that can be completely separate from the religious aspect. Uh, because again, in the text, Skywin is like, well, it, it was sinful of me. Um, but I think it's relatable in the sense of for those of us who are not religious, it's not even about being a sinner. It's just about uh, being human. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, really cool to see a portrayal of a human hero. Yeah. Because, you know, you when you think of a night story or a story following a knight and everything he's doing, you can't really picture yourself typically slaying a dragon or anything, but the human element of um, a knight is way easier to relate to. And and we see that more in the poem because of how um, subdued and more introspective and quiet it is. And if anything in the film, we see the less relatable things like Gaiwan talking to giants and, Mm -hmm getting robbed by thieves or getting heads out of the water for ghosts. Like we almost see I that, to that kind of action. I've been there before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just think the poem is timeless uh-huh. and really succeeds in reaching out to an audience. Um, even though again, it was, it was crafted for a very specific audience, uh, Christians. It, it, remains today to be a relatable wonderful story yeah so yeah i'm also going to say um the original poem and i i should you know clarify just a couple things and that obviously this was a very um emotional discussion that we had (laughs) um i um i didn't uh you know, I definitely don't hate the movie, and I, I, like I said, I had an enjoyable experience watching it yesterday. I just think in our discussion and, like, kind of unraveling the questions that I have, more um, more things that bugged me about it started to start to come up. But, like, there's definitely, if you like this movie, I totally understand. There's a lot of things to latch on to. It's an interesting story. I do find it interesting just in and of itself that it is, again... an example of a modern movie. This feels like a movie or an adaptation that was made in 2021, not just by the look of it. Like, obviously there's a clear, like crisp visual style, but there's also a lot of techniques that we have become accustomed to, um, in modern filmmaking, uh, in the, in the past few decades, like certain symbolism, certain story devices, the the kind of free use of ambiguity in your storytelling. And I, I do think that is a fun thing to study. Um, I just think that 
on the basis, I think, that the original text, and obviously it's kind of getting the leg up just a little bit because it's much older, but it does speak to storytelling as we know it today from a fundamental level. Yeah. It's got, it's an adventure. It has an interesting setting. setting. It's ripe with details. It's, um, it's supposed to teach you something. It is about a lesson. There is an allegory there. And I also don't, I didn't love the original text. Like I wasn't <laughs> like, this was one of the best things I've ever read. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought same. it was, it was interesting. And yeah. I, um, had a good time reading it because it was it was just obviously it's very well written. I just think that while I don't fall head over heels for both of these works, I, I think that studying them both together brings about like a, I, I don't want to say better, but like brings about a more true conversation, I yeah. think about like or a more, more full conversation about the work because they're both trying to say two very different things yeah (laughs) um and it's 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 also i mean it's just fun to study that stuff and i just had more fun reading the story and i think that like you said it is a it is a timeless work and i'm I'm very curious to see how the film you know fares within a few years if it like is going to like i would not i would revisit it at some point to see what a second viewing would be like honestly because like after this conversation you know my opinions have changed a little bit um but i don't know it's just it's the fact that it is has so many staples and like highs and lows of modern filmmaking that i like and don't like i think that in and of itself does make it stick out among other films but it doesn't resonate with me on an emotional level for sure and especially you know and i also want to make it clear like for the rest of you know the the series that we've mentioned it before but i think it's worth mentioning again that like it doesn't just need to have like a beat for beat like uh, the movie doesn't have to have everything that the original story has if they want to yeah. build something off of it they're obviously willing to do that you know they the original text isn't fully equipped to be a film you know there's there are sections that are very cinematic um but i mean i also don't think it's like room for a total <laughs> reworking but like um I'm fine if it's if there are changes. There can I'm expecting changes. I'm just seeing how well they work in the context of both what the story is, what the original story is doing, and what this new version brings to the table. And like you said, we mentioned Ghost World. You know, I wasn't crazy about that film um, necessarily, but like you could tell that that was written in the same spirit and by the same people. Yeah, this just feels way more confusing. Yeah, and is much more like. <laughs> not clear in its allegory. Yeah. Whereas when you finish the original text, you're like, I understand what I'm supposed to get out of this. I yeah. understand this is the lesson that I'm supposed to be taught. Um, and so I'm just, I, I would say, yes, the, um, the original text I would, I would personally yeah. prefer. And again, really quickly, ambiguity can be like really good and interesting. Yeah. And, um, it, the witch has some exactly. great use of ambiguity at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the fuck happens. <laughs> yeah. I love that though. <laughs> like, like, um, something being great does not just boil down to whether or not you get it. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what you were trying to say, Josh, but mm-hmm. I, I just want to clarify right. that, um, ambiguity when it's purposeful and has intent behind it, works really really well often yeah um but i i I don't think that's how what the green knight film Mm -hmm. achieved i think we well we were also talking about this beforehand that like 
clearly like a lot of people really loved this movie. Yeah. Like film Twitter definitely took to it. I had a lot of friends that really loved it. A lot of critics that I read, read uh, and listen to had a really great time with it. I understand why. And that's totally fine. But one thing I don't think we talk about enough in terms of film, you know, viewership is that film is an emotional experience. Yeah. If you just don't click with it, you can't really refute that. Yeah. That's not worth arguing about if (laughs) it just doesn't work for you. Yeah, it doesn't. And also, I think that this can get into the situation, at least in terms of discussion with this movie, is like the checklist, therefore it's good. So it's like, it has this, it does this with this character, it has this kind of cinematography, it, you know, this is achieved, this is achieved. Now, all of those things may be true. That could be an objective thing where you're just saying like, this character goes through this change. Okay. That doesn't automatically make it a good or great film. You know, I think that um, we're kind of, we discredit a lot of just emotional experiences in viewing movies these days because, you know, it's pretty easy to become like a film theorist and film historian (laughs) and and the the editing. And I'm neither of those things. I'm I'm just, I'm just an enthusiast myself, but like, with the voice of Twitter and, you know, social media and constantly connecting us with our thoughts and opinions, I think it just can be really easy to get caught up in the, oh, yeah, this has this and this has this and this has this. So that makes it good. And anyone else who says it's not good just doesn't get it, like you mentioned, or doesn't isn't really seeing the true greatness here. Yeah. And like, I understand why people like this, but like it just didn't connect with me as much as the original story did and at least emotionally you know and i think that again through our discussion you know it just brought out more things that made me think like yeah i think this movie is is pretty fine like i I think it's good but it's not it's not like the best movie of last year you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say that by any means um but that's i want to get off my soapbox now (laughs) (laughs) So thank you guys for listening to our episode on the Green Knight. Uh, yes. If you want to know what we're doing in two weeks, go follow us on social media for some clues uh, leading up to the episode. So thank you, Rihanna, as thank always, you. for a great episode. And we will see you guys in two weeks. Thank you, y'all. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies Off the Shelf. You can follow us on Instagram at Frankly I Love Movies and at Frankly underscore podcasts on Twitter. Our show is produced by Sullivan J. Harris with music by Kanan Harris and series artwork by Rihanna Henson. I'm Rihanna Henson. I'm Josh Wall. Frankly, I love books. And frankly, I love movies. Movies.